0: This audio recording is presented by New City in downtown Orlando. Our reading this morning comes from John 20, verse 21. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. This is God's word. Please be seated. I know you must be exhausted after standing for that scripture reading. Yes, so one verse. One verse is what we have. For those of you who are joining us, we are in a current sermon series that I'll recap a little bit in just a moment. But first, uh, I want to tell you about uh, an experience I had. When I lived in San Diego, I mentioned this last week, when I lived there, I had a lot of military friends, and I got some, some cool experiences. One of those was I got to go on with a captain in the Coast Guard. I got to tour a Coast Guard vessel before they were about to deploy on it for months and, and, and cruise all around, and especially in Baja, California, down to, uh, through Mexico and on the coast there, and that was a very cool thing. Uh, but one of the most interesting things was when I got to go into a, a submarine. So I got to go into it, and I got to look through the periscope to downtown San Diego, and it was very cool. There were these huge warhead missiles, I mean, gigantic, with these two men standing guard reading the exact same Kindle. I don't know if it was the same book, but reading a Kindle, standing guard. And uh, this whole square footage was probably about the size of this room, except there's a whole group of men who may stay underwater for uh, eight uh, more weeks at a time. So that was very interesting. But one of the things I didn't get to do that I wanted to do was to tour an actual uh, aircraft carrier. I mean, you know, the floating cities, basically, that are on the water. I, I was right next to one. In fact, there were multiple aircraft carriers around me when I was on this... It was kind of big, but it looked tiny compared to those on the the Coast Guard vessel. Uh, but I remember uh, experiencing that, thinking those things are amazing, and, and seeing the planes. And I was close enough where I could see the catapult systems that would both break the planes and also send the planes. And I was talking like, "What all happens on there?" So, well, it's a city. I mean, there, there are basketball goals. There are, there's a movie theater. There's there's a cafeteria. There's a hospital. I mean, it's a, it's a city. And it cruises around to launch people onto mission in different places in the world. And uh, shortly after that, I read uh, this passage in a book that was, was saying, really bemoaning, the fact that most churches had become uh, not aircraft carriers as they were supposed to, but they had become cruise ships. And just standing right there next to an aircraft carrier, I, my imagination was captivated. I mean, think what happens on a cruise ship. Entertainment, you eat a lot, you eat a whole lot. There's little accountability in terms of what you eat, you don't move a whole lot. And although it it leaves port and goes out into the open water, it hits a couple spots, but inevitably comes back almost always to the exact same place. It, It doesn't go into new territory at all. No advancement. But if you compare that to an aircraft carrier, you realize that an aircraft carrier takes you into new territory. But what it does is that it sends people out into mission, receives them back in, prepares them, sends them back out, into mission. That is the purpose of an aircraft carrier. And you see, the church has become a cruise ship when it should be an aircraft carrier. And what I mean is, the local church as an institution has become more like a cruise ship for consumption and entertainment and not an aircraft carrier. So the aircraft carrier should equip and should brief on the battle plan and should fuel the jets and launch pilots out onto their mission. But yet, if we're honest, New City is not exempt from this. My life is not exempt from this. Your life is not exempt from this. All of us in our lives and our churches so easily can become about us. They so easily can turn from aircraft carriers into cruise ships. And think how weird that would look if you saw an actual aircraft carrier trying to be a cruise ship. It's not meant to be a cruise ship. Therefore, it can't be a very good cruise ship, can it? But we certainly try. We certainly try. And so last week, um, we made this transition from talking about worship, and I tried to expand our understanding that worship isn't only what happens on Sunday morning, but it's all of life. And last week, we made this transition from the importance of church gathered to then church sent. And in the worship service, corporate worship, public worship, that happens every week as we're commissioned or sent out with God's blessing into the mission field. And so the blessing that God gives us in the benediction gives us this deep notion, this calling, this sending to go out into the world. And so as we make this turn now today to the final two weeks of this sermon series on worship as the church gathered and church sent, I want us to realize that worship and mission are integrally connected. They cannot be separated. If you try to do this, So look at one or the other, they'll immediately suck back together. And the reason is, is because we're always worshiping and we're always on a mission. It just might not be the right mission. And so I've tried to expand our understanding of worship beyond Sunday. I've tried to say it's all of life. I've tried to teach us that we're always worshiping and that we worship what we find most beautiful. And what we find most beautiful, we adore. And that's what draws us in our hearts in worship. And so as one author puts it, Another reason that we know mission and worship are integrally connected is because we will not commend to the world a God that we do not adore. We will commend to the world what we most adore. And so if we don't most adore the triune God, we will not commend him to the world in our words or in our lives. And so today, this very simple, straightforward one verse, we could read it. That could be the sermon. Okay, you've made the point. The verse made the point. How can you add on this? I just want to reflect on it. So I want to reflect on this verse verse together by asking three questions. First question is, who sends us? Okay, so read the verse again. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Now, John, in in his gospel, one of his favorite designations of Jesus is to talk about him as the son who was sent by the Father. So probably the most famous verse in the Bible, at least in the United States, is John 3.16. And so in that case, God so loves the world that he gives his son, and you think, oh, that's kind of like sending, and it is, but he didn't use the word. But in verse 17, right after John 3.16, he does then use the word sent, that Jesus is sent by the Father. And then here again in our verse uh, 20, chapter 20, verse 21, John calls Jesus the sent one. Now, we know that when you're sent by someone, that it implies that the commission, the charge, or their message that they're bringing is issued by the sender. It doesn't originate with them. Okay, so for, for our military examples, when that, when that vessel goes out, uh, the general or the highest ranking officer who's in charge of that vessel, whatever it is, it's not his mission. He didn't come up with it. He's executing the mission that he was sent on. It originated with the general. Okay, so in this case, Jesus was sent by the Father with a message, with a mission. And so as Jesus is sent, now Jesus, who his will always conforms with the will of the Father, sends us. So in a sense, we can say the Father and the Son send the church, but there's something else. If we read the next verse, verse 22, we would see that we get the Spirit. So what you can say is, Father sends the Son. The Father and the Son send the Spirit. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit send the church. Now, this is more than just a theological point that I'm making, because if we don't get this, we won't understand my next point, okay? And the reality is, is that we have to specifically say the Father and the Son send the church by the Spirit. But before they send us, they send us with power that comes from the Spirit. Okay, so I'm going to say it a different way. I'm going to say it the way Jesus said it. If you want power in your life, if I want power in my life, we must abide in the vine. We must have our life rooted in the source of life. And so Jesus says that he is the vine, his father is the vine dresser, and that we are the branches that must abide in the branch. What happens when a a branch abides in the vine? Well, the, the life of the Plant in this case flows through the vine to the branches. And then what happens? The branches, Jesus says, the branches bear fruit. They don't produce fruit. They bear fruit by being connected to the source of life. And so if you and I wouldn't be given the spirit before we were sent, we would be toast. I mean, there would be, there would be no hope. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from the life that is in me, you can do nothing. This is why the Spirit comes even in Jesus' baptism. Jesus is baptized. The Spirit is sent. Even Jesus does his ministry in the power of the Holy Spirit. So definitely then, us. We are completely dependent in every area of our life on the power of God in our life. Our gifts Our effort, they're nothing without the root and fruit of love produced by the Holy Spirit. Now, this is the idea I mentioned Jesus is getting at in John 15. And furthermore, I want to point out that this is important because now we know where the power comes from, but we also know where the source of the mission comes from. Because if it's just me as a pastor with a certain interest trying to tell us that we should go do good things, who cares? If the source of the mission of the church is some charismatic leader, some personality type, who cares? If it's a cool fad to be on mission, who cares? This is important because it is the triune God who sends us on mission. And because of that, we don't get to opt out. If we're the people of God, we don't get to opt out of the mission of God. All right, so we see this in the verse. Who sends us? The triune God sends us. Now, where are we sent? I've been talking about this. You're sent, you're sent. Well, where are we sent? Many of us were probably taught that the only ones who are truly sent are those who go to other countries to proclaim the gospel, uh, those who go to other countries to translate the Bible. And before I say anything else, I want to say praise God for those people. Praise God, and in all sincerity, may their numbers increase. In all sincerity, I hope that people from this congregation, people who are sitting here right now, that God would breathe into you a desire to go, a desire to be sent in that way, to go move into a village somewhere where you learn the language and translate the Bible into that language or dialect where you go to a place where you become a stranger so that you can invite strangers of the family of God into the family of God and that God would use you in that way. I hope that happens. But as I pay attention to the scriptures, even in the first century church, a very small percentage of people were sent out as missionaries in that way. Very few of you will be sent out in that way. The mission of God will happen wherever you are tomorrow morning at this time, and the next day, and the next day. Wherever you are called, God is sending you there. You have been sent out. And so most people are called to stay in their everyday work, the warp and woof of our lives in our home, in the marketplace, in our neighborhoods, in our PTA meetings, in our block parties, at our soccer games and lacrosse. Is it games? Lacrosse games? Matches? I'm serious. What is it? Games. Okay, I, lacrosse, I didn't know what lacrosse was until I moved here. Uh, I'm from the Midwest. We play basketball and other things. So even there, God is sending you to your lacrosse games. You see, Jesus reigns over all. The Bible is clear that the blood of the cross is reconciling all things, to Jesus okay reconciling all things to the father and so that means that as far as sin goes that's where redemption goes and we're sent out to those places every one of those places and so because God's mission is comprehensive we must engage everything under the reign of God your marriage must be engaged as though you are on mission under the reign of God because your marriage will never be perfect. It will always be proximate. Your love for your spouse will always be proximate. Your love for your children will always be proximate. But you're sent there to bear witness to the reign of God and his purposes in marriage and family and singleness and business and politics and art and athletics, and leisure, and scholarship, and technology, and media. Everywhere you're sent, you're sent there to witness to the reign of God in Jesus Christ. You are being restored in your humanity, so you can show the world what it looks like to be a human created in the image of God. And it's this, actually, that turns our ordinary moments into opportunity for extraordinary witness. Leah and I have a friend who is ordinary. And if you fly at all, you know what it's like to sit down on a plane and think, please God, don't let anyone talk to me. (laughs) Don't speak to me. I'm putting my headphones in before I get into line, even if there's nothing on, headphones in, book out, and if I really want to freak people out, Bible on top okay? And yet there's still this feeling, this sort of tent, well, at least for me, maybe some of you have seared consciences, I don't know. But there's at least a part of me that thinks, "Ah, maybe I should talk to the person next to me. And then I don't. But sometimes, they talk to me. Well, our friend's telling us the story, and I'm thinking, yes, I know exactly what this is like. And she gets on a plane, and you need to know something about our friend. Uh, She owns a business, and on the side, one of the things she does with Her husband is she runs a ranch in the United States to restore holistically, mainly women. I think it's only women at this point who have stepped out of or been rescued from the sex industry. So she sits on the plane. She's in the middle seat being very ordinary, not wanting to talk to anybody. She actually did the thing that I do. Earphones in, Bible on top as she tells the story. And the problem was, is that she she describes this man next to her who is very sharp and handsome and uh, in his uh, early 40s, she would guess. And he kept interrupting her. He kept speaking to her. And she'd do this whole thing. Take out the earphone. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. Back in. Locked in. He kept doing this. So finally, she felt that nudge that all of us, if we're honest, have felt, which is talk to this man. Now, I've felt that urge. She has felt this urge in other times where nothing spectacular happens from that conversation, but yet you feel that. So it's ordinary, and it seems very ordinary, but you have no idea what's happening. You may just talk small talk. Sometimes you may share an element of what Jesus has done in your life, and and you witness to Jesus as king. So she didn't know, and so she takes her headphones out and starts engaging him. And then the question that we all start off with, right, what do you do? And he looks at her, as she tells the story, with pride, And says, I own the second largest pornography company in the world. And she said, in that instant, peace flooded her. And she said, oh, really? Tell me about that. So he started telling her about it. And he's going on and on. And after listening for a, a time, she says, well, how do you find the girls? I mean, is there just a line for this? And he said, oh, that's easy. We send scouts to malls and to high schools, and we have them build a relationship and look for girls with daddy issues. And after listening for a a lot longer, she asked permission to challenge him. And she said, listen, I want you to know what I believe. I believe all men are meant to be protectors of women. And I hear you justify what you do. But I'm just wondering if ever, in the middle of the night, your hero's heart wakes up on their behalf. And he looked for a minute, and then he, he looked out the window, she said. I mean, of course, as we're getting the story from our friend, we're just like, what? It's ordinary. And... Uh, he then looked at her and opened up about his wife and his daughters and his divorce. And when he said his daughters, she gasped and said, Oh no. And he said, What? And she said, your, da- your daughters have daddy issues. And a blank stare came across his face, and they kept talking. And they got off the plane, and he, he said three things. First of all, he said, I want you to know that when I saw your Bible, I made it my mission to mess with you, and I couldn't wait to watch the look of judgment come across your face when you asked me what I did, and I'm sorry. He said, the second thing he said was, because of you, I'm never going to sleep quite the same again. And the third thing he said is, do you have a card? Because I think my girls might need you someday. Now, I share that story because... If you knew this person, you would know she's just like you. She's just like me, ordinary. And it's not just what she said. It's not just that it was a spectacular story. I share it because I see so many ties to this. One, it wasn't just what she said. It was that she was prepared in the moment to be sent by God, even though she didn't know what she was going to say. It was because it wasn't exactly or only what she said. It was how she said it. Right? She, she asked questions. She listened. I can I think. I don't know what Jesus would have said, but I, I believe that Jesus may have or most likely would have engaged him similarly as she did. The way she leaned in, the way she asked questions, she knew it wasn't her job to convict him. She knew it was her job to lean in and to be a presence of the Holy Spirit. Remember what we said last week? We're sent not as cul-de-sacs to keep the blessing of God to ourselves, but we're sent as conduits to spread the blessing. Of God. And so wherever you're sent tomorrow, whether it's on an airplane, that that may or may not happen to you ever. But are you open? And before you're open, I think you have to realize we are sent as the church. You are sent. So we're sent by the triune God. We're sent everywhere to be on mission in all of life, all the time. So, lastly, what exactly are we sent to do? I've sort of hinted at it, but how would I sum it up succinctly? What are we sent to do? In a sense, like I said, I've already spoken to this when I said our entire lives were to bear witness to the reign of God in Jesus Christ. But that's a lot to say, right? We're sent everywhere to bear witness to Jesus Christ. So, another way to say it, as I've heard it said, is we are sent to Offer foretastes of the kingdom. tastes. You know those little pink spoons from Baskin-Robbins? Or any ice cream? They're not always pink. But you go to an ice cream shop and they give you a little scoop, a little foretaste. Taste this. This is coming attractions. That's you. You and I are to be foretastes to the kingdom of God that has broken in to the present. Broken in to the Now although it's not fully here yet. Another way it's been put is that we ourselves are to be previews of the kingdom because with the coming of the Spirit bringing salvation, we now as the church are to offer advanced glimpses of the kingdom of God. We're to be movie previews of the actual footage of what the kingdom of God will be like. We're to offer previews. And so... These video clips of the future that we are to engage in as foretastes and previews of the kingdom of God, they're carried out in everyday life. When a parent calmly disciplines a child and points them what others may be watching to the fact that the real issue is the sin in their heart, that's a foretaste of the kingdom. But so is the foretaste of the kingdom here when the parent not so calmly disciplines the child comes back and repents. Because in both cases, what we're putting on display is that in Jesus Christ, we are so secure that it's not based on our earning, but the kingdom of God is a gift that's coming and changing. And we can be open and vulnerable and honest. We can live in the light. We can point people to the light because they won't be turned away. Not by the reign of our God. Not by Jesus. When you and I directly but winsomely speak correction or rebuke into someone's life for their good and not out of judgment, but true challenge like my friend or true challenge to your spouse or to another friend or to a coworker. When we, when we speak it, I didn't say shout it. I didn't say wag your finger, but when we gently speak it with confidence, truly for their good, they'll know. They may not act like they know, but that's a foretaste of the hope that's coming. And in the same way, when we shout praise and gratitude, because we don't need validation ultimately from looking special. And so that way we can praise other people. We can praise them for how God's made them and their glory. We can tell them how much we appreciate them. We can pedestal them without having to then slip in a comment of our own about ourselves. Who does that? People who live in the light in the kingdom of God. That's who does that. That's who stands on the mountaintops and shouts praises to others and gives away and doesn't view power as a zero-sum game, as though if I give a little bit away, I have less. When we speak out against any level of injustice in any place against other humans or destruction of creation, both interpersonal and systemic injustice, when we make decisions to remedy and look for opportunities to speak against and to disrupt and to take light into organizations and places, we're being a foretaste of the kingdom of God. It's not perfect. It'll never be perfect. But That means we don't do anything, right? That'd be like saying you can never love your spouse perfectly, so why try? It's foolishness. And of course, when we speak of our love for Jesus and all that God's done for us in him to our neighbor, when we listen to them and we love them and we share with them, as we as a church continue to love one another and show deep hospitality to the stranger. You know, if you were with us at our community group training a few weeks ago, if you're a community group leader, Ben shared this. The word for hospitality is xenophilia or love of brother, or sorry, Xenophobia, love of, sorry, it's love of stranger. That is the Greek word for hospitality. And we know what xenophobia is, which is fear of stranger. And you see, to be hospitable is to be so secure in the kingdom of God, understand ourselves as so sent that our lives become hospitable, that we become a place in this church of hospitality where the stranger is welcome, where the stranger is brought in. I even mean the stranger who believed differently, who lives differently, but they would find a place where they would be listened to and be welcome and be offered love and hope. And I want to point out and end here that not only are we to be previews of the kingdom of God in the way that we live, but you and I actually in our own self, we are previews of the kingdom of God. If you look at our assurance of faith from today, 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. What is that new creation? You see, God has done in you and me, he's begun to do in you and me redeeming us, what he's going to do to all creation. And so when you and I live our life as a new creation, when, when it becomes obvious to us and our family members and our neighbors that what we love is changing And it's becoming more of what Jesus loves. And we're hating more and more what Jesus hates. And people see that our lives in and of itself. We become a preview of the kingdom of God. Because that work has already begun in us. That's what it means to be a new creation. And we would need to keep reading. Because a few verses down from chapter 5 verse 17 is verse 21. And that says, he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf so that we would have the righteousness of God. You see, the way that you and I become this coming attraction preview of the kingdom of God, the way you and I become this new creation is by trusting in Jesus. And when we do that, he takes our sin, and he gives us his righteousness. It's the great exchange. And so as you and I live increasingly into that story, as we continue to be transformed by that story, we will become increasingly previews of the actual story, previews of coming attractions. So when you and I are sent everywhere all the time, we are sent to be a foretaste, that pink spoon to our neighbor. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you now so encouraged, some of us, and some of us so discouraged. Encouraged because you are so good and gracious and and you forgive us and then you still use us as we've been talking about. That you don't put us aside, but you actually consecrate us and you instruct us and then you send us out after having forgiven us over and over and over. And yet, some of us are discouraged at the same time because we're we're made so aware of how far short we fall of being a foretaste of of the kingdom. And oftentimes, uh, rather than being a foretaste of your kingdom, uh, we try to sell our kingdom to others. So I ask as we respond and come to commune with you at this table and respond in song that you would, with surgical precision, apply by the Holy Spirit the truth that will set us free this week, that place where we've most doubted your love, that you would go there and you would help us see Jesus. It's in his name we pray.